This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. This is Chris Grosso with the Indie Spiritualist Podcast on the Be Here Now Network. And my guest today is Mr. Brad Warner. Brad, thank you for being with me. Hi. Hi. So let me just quickly read your bio uh, for anyone not familiar with your work. Brad Warner is the author of Don't Be a Jerk and numerous other titles, including Sit Down and Shut Up, Hardcore Zen, and Zen Wrapped in Karma Dipped in Chocolate. A Soto Zen priest, he is a punk bassist, filmmaker, Japanese monster movie marketer, and popular blogger based in Los Angeles. Visit him online at www.hardcorezen.info. Did we get all that correct, Brad? Yeah, yeah. I guess I should make it former Japanese movie marketer because that's been on there for a while. Older by I used to work for a company that marketed Japanese monster movies. Yeah. Yes, you did. And you write about that. That was like in Hardcore Zen and Sit Down and Shut Up that you covered a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in Zen Wrapped in Karma Dipped in Chocolate, it shows up too. Yeah. <clears throat> Very good stuff. Before we get into the new book, we should preface by talking a bit about Dogen, who is a obviously very influential teacher in your life and is the basis of this new book. So before we jump into that, let's talk about him. Let's talk about um, his story as well as how you came across him and and the influence he's had on your life. Okay. All right. Well, I'll try to make it. I'll try to give the shortest Dogen version I can. He was... (laughs) He was a Japanese Buddhist uh, monk and writer uh, who lived about 800 years ago. He was probably born of uh, the illegitimate son of uh, a, a um, aristocrat, a Japanese aristocrat who was murdered uh, when he was very young. He also lost his mother to circumstances we don't really know uh, when he was young. So he lost both of his parents, entered a temple uh, life when he was 12, and uh, was kind of a lifelong monk. He was dissatisfied with the way Buddhism was being presented in Japan in in his day. So he went to China, um, was initially disappointed with Chinese Zen, but uh, found a teacher over there who who taught him something he really could get behind, Mm. uh, which was this uh, idea of just sitting. So you were doing your meditation not as something to attain a goal like liberation or bliss or enlightenment. You were just doing it to just do it, which is kind of a weird thing if you think about it. Uh, He came back to Japan and wrote a lot about that. So uh, his main 
difference between him and a lot of teachers is how much he wrote. He just wrote extensively and left a lot of work behind that we can uh, we can learn from. I came across him because uh, when I was a college student at Kent State University in Ohio a long time ago, I uh, just happened to take this class called Zen Buddhism, uh, which at the time I just took it to fill up credit hours, you know, one of those things where you don't have enough hours to be a full-time student, and not really thinking it was going to be much of anything, and uh, was uh, was just completely floored by Dogen's worldview and, and how he approached this idea of discovering what we truly are. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Japan and studied it some more and got ordained and wrote some books. <laughs> awesome. And I should say for anyone in the audience who wants to know more in depth about that, you, like again, yeah. going back to your first couple of books, you write about that, your teacher, his name was Tim. Is that correct? Tim McCarthy Tim was McCarthy. my first teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce your teacher in Japan's name. Uh, what was his name? Gudo Nishijima. There we are. Uh, and you write more in depth about that in your earlier yeah. material, which I recommend checking out to the viewers. It's a very fascinating story. Um, and before we move ahead, I like what you're saying about meditating and just sitting there for the sake of sitting there. Um, and I know when you talk about meditation, you take the approach where you close your eyes or I'm sorry, you don't close them all the way, but about a third of the way open, give or take a little gaze and you yeah. just stare at a wall. Correct. Yeah. Rather yeah, than yeah. eyes closed mantras or breath focused. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's called Shikantaza in Japanese, which just means just sitting. Yeah. And it is a type of meditation that I, I, I don't, Dogen didn't even like, uh, the word meditation or the Japanese equivalent, uh, word for meditation. And he thought Zazen was a thing unto itself. So the idea is you're not, you're not trying to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. You, you're just trying to get into the pure experience of, of this, moment without any sort of props and I, I think it's 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 really interesting and really direct uh, it's also very difficult because you don't have anything to rely on it's it's sort of like being you're taught to swim by being thrown into the water and here you go swim yeah. um, you don't you don't have any sort of any sort of props or anything so you you just have to kind of uh, find out for yourself what life is so you're trying to you're trying to experience life directly but but you're doing it in a in a sort of controlled way of of sitting quietly in a particular position for a certain amount of time mm. doesn't sound very interesting when i put it like that <laughs> does it <laughs> and, and it it is and it isn't that's the interesting yeah. thing i love go ahead sorry it's terribly boring that's all i was gonna say it, it well it is but what i love is that it does come down to direct experience you know and it's, it's i'm a big fan of the teachers who work with direct pointing let's cut out all of the middle stuff and let's go right to what is here right now and you have and when you really are able to be there with it you it's pretty incredible. Like I've had the experience where I'll be sitting there and looking at a wall, for example, and recognizing, holy shit, I, the body mind, Chris is not looking at this wall anymore. There is simply seeing happening through this vessel looking. And it's not even about the experience. It's about cutting through. Yeah. I, I hear that bus. Ah. Yeah. Sorry. No, 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 no worries it's, at all. It's garbage day over here. Nice. <laughs> But anyways, I'm not saying that that experience can happen with other t- tips or techniques and whatever, yeah. but I just find that cutting right to the chase is a pretty, uh, literally no bullshit. Let's just get right to it. Let's do it and let's see what happens. So, uh, Well, that's the idea. Yeah. The idea is just to 
because what we're trying to experience is life in its rawest state, right. then then why put anything between you and life? And, and of course, Dogen can get really frustrating about this because he'll say even even delusion is an experience of pure realization because it's the pure realization of delusion. And you're kind of going, ah, Dogen, stop it. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Well, and so he wrote the the Shobo Genzo. Is that right. correct pronunciation? Shobo yes. Genzo. Um and and that's what this new book is worked or based on is, you yeah. know, th- that um but the interesting thing that I did not know was that it was banned in Japan in yeah. 1700. Why was it banned? Uh, you know, it's it's kind of uh, lost to history, but the speculation is, uh, among other things, the it's sort of like the Catholic Church in in uh, our history wanting to control how people interpreted the Bible. So the Soto Shu, which was kind of a the rough equivalent of that, wanted to wanted to kind of dominate the conversation about Dogen, mm. and uh, and they didn't want anybody else commenting on it or or adding their two cents in. And this lasted for I don't know a couple hundred years before uh, before it just sort of became impossible right. <laughs> and, and then and then the Shobogenzo was rediscovered cool and so now you you put out the new book don't be a jerk and I'm sorry for the cliche question but I've always been a fan of the titles of your books they, you know they're very catchy they're they're uh, they're funny I dig them so don't be a jerk what's the story behind that well, one of the essays that Dogen wrote is called in Japanese, I'll shout over the garbage <laughs> truck, is called in Japanese Shoakumakusa, okay. which roughly means don't enact wrongdoing or something like that. Any any direct translation tends to kind of lose uh, the flavor of it. So <clears throat> I titled that essay, Don't Be a Jerk, and it was just one of the essays I was working on for the book. And I thought it would make a good overall title because it's catchy. And also because he says in that essay that the the essence, the the, the true meaning of, of Buddhist philosophy is don't be a jerk, is don't enact wrong. Uh, and, and he also says any three-year-old child knows this, but adults have a very difficult time actually putting it into practice. So, so I think that's really important because um, we're always worried about good and evil and, and all of that. And uh, we have this kind of idea, which apparently the Japanese people in Dogen's time also had, that there is evil out there and there's good out there. And then we're kind of neutral objects choosing between good or, or evil. Uh, but, uh, but what Dogen says is evil doesn't occur until somebody does something uh, bad <laughs> and and that and that's when evil occurs and uh and there is no evil outside of what you do hmm. yeah. Interesting. so don't be a jerk <laughs> so don't be a jerk right well so there's a chapter that you write uh called you're already enlightened but you're not and <laughs> yeah. i want to share a little uh excerpt from that and then explore that a little bit with you you write dogan's big question when he was a young monk was this if Buddhism teaches that we're all perfect just as we are, and it does teach that, then why do we have to undergo training? A whole lot of Shobogenzo is Dogen's attempt to answer that. So what did Dogen find out, and why do we need to undergo this training? Well, he he uses a lot of metaphors because it turns out that it's really difficult to explain this. And the one he uses uh, in early in the 
work is a guy using a fan. So a uh, it's a hot day, and the master is sitting fanning himself, and the student says, if air is everywhere, why do you use a fan? And he mm-hmm. says, uh, this, the teacher says, well, you just understand the principle of air being everywhere. You don't understand why we use a fan. So, so it's a, it's a metaphor that's saying, yeah, air is everywhere. Uh, the truth is everywhere. But if you don't take some kind of direction towards it, you're not. You're you're going to miss it. Uh, I think we need the training because we all have a lot of. Um, habits and things that have accumulated over the years you know as as soon as you're born we're not sure if you're born with habits i sort of imagine that you are right. but uh, the jury is out scientifically on that but very quickly society is putting a lot of stuff into you right. you know from the first minute of trying to tell you how things are and and mostly it's done in a well-meaning fashion by your parents and people like that but they're often wrong, <laughs> you know. So, uh, so what you have to do is kind of find a way through all that, uh, and and find a way to find the direct experience of life uh, without without constantly referencing things you've learned, yeah. uh, which is very difficult for us, you know. It absolutely is. I mean, it's usually about two or three, you know, where where we're really beginning to cognize these labels that are being put on us me you you know good bad up down whatever it is and and then as we're going through elementary school and you know being taught what an apple is but not being taught that apple is just a label you know so we've been identifying like the apple with the label and we're not seeing it for what it actually is so i love what you're saying it's interesting trying to talk to people about that you know who are adults that have spent their whole lives conditioned by this you know and then it's like wait a minute I'm not who I thought I've been this whole time, let alone yeah. like this, you know, this glass right here is not the glass <laughs> that I thought it was the whole time. Well, yeah, Jason yeah, Voorhees is Friday, not yeah. Jason Voorhees. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so, maybe he is, but I don't know. Okay, uh, aside from <laughs> Voorhees. But yeah, I mean, so yeah. in your own work then, how uh, how do you approach that? I know that's a big question, but... Um, well, it's difficult because people, uh, you find that people in general don't even realize they're they've been conditioned and and of course i i don't either you there's there's certain there's certain areas where you can't j- just the very nature of communication like we're doing like we're talking now we're using a lot of concepts and things and representations and that in order to help each other understand what each other are thinking right. so um so you can get lost in those rep- uh, representations where you take those representations to be the reality itself. And, and you'll, you'll frame a problem in a certain way. And then uh, after you framed it in a certain way, that, that framing might not be correct, but you're stuck with it. And so you're always talking about this framing of the problem, which might not be the actual problem. Or or because because you can only communicate so much of the problem, uh, you you tend to kind of get uh, lost in the in the framework you've created. Uh, I don't know. I I was just reading, you know, th- this thing that keeps coming up on the internet of Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter, and everybody mm-hmm. does the same explanation. They say, well, it doesn't mean only Black Lives Matter and whatever. So, I think that's a nice. Uh, current events sort of case of where you frame the problem a certain way and it's a real problem but 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 the framing becomes 
itself becomes the problem because right. you can't, you know, you're starting to argue about this frame that you've created rather than opening up and seeing, oh, there's there's the actual problem. Right. Know? Yeah, no, I think that's a great example. And it's very obviously very timely when you see this because, of course, all lives matter, but of course, black lives matter. And it's yeah. such a hot... But I, I think it was you that posted that CNN video. I saw it first through you where it's the two protests happening, the Black Lives Matter and then the All Lives Matter. And was that you? Maybe not. I don't know. But uh, I did post it because I liked it. And I, and I thought, well, you know, you look at it and it's really you're only seeing about, I don't know, 20 or so people. So it's like, right. oh, they can't, it can't be called a major event. But it was really nice because uh, I don't know which group initiated it. I think it was the Black Lives Matter people yeah. who initiated it. But um, but the 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 white guys in there, you know, um, uh, star, stars and bars, you yeah, know, the flag, flag and all this stuff. Yeah. They were uh, they were real receptive. All the Black Lives Matters people came over to them and started shaking their hands, and they realized, oh, we did we got something in common here, <laughs> you know, and and uh, and we're all trying to get through this thing. So um, I thought it was really you know heartwarming <laughs> in, 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 in all this other divisive stuff. You know? I did too. I was actually surprised that you were the guy that posted it because you know you you spoke you post a lot of skeptic type things, cynical, yeah. and and that's good. It's healthy. But I was like, wow. And I watched it. I'm like, huh. Yeah, it was good, though. Made you feel yeah. the feels a little. But so another thing you write about in the book, and this is a this is a tough one for a lot of people. But I think, it, man, if, if we could just get a real grasp on this, maybe this whole all lives, black lives matter thing could be put to rest, which obviously this isn't going to happen. But let's talk about the whole no self issue. Well, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a real issue because that's that's one of the core teachings of of Buddhism and it right. goes right back to the beginnings. Uh this idea that there is no self. And that's that's like the kind of maybe that's the basic framework we're all working with is that I have a self and my right. self is defined in this way. And 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 our our own definitions of ourselves are never clearly defined. I don't think anybody, well, maybe there's a few nutcases who, who go around trying to, you know, clearly define what the self is. But uh, usually it's just this very loose accumulation that involves a lot of factors. Right. And uh, what you realize when you're working with this with this uh, practice for a while is that, that all of that uh, falls apart. And, and you're left with something... Uh, that that you can't possibly define anymore, which is um, which is real interesting. <laughs> uh, but but it's very difficult to talk about this idea of no self because because uh, you know when I first heard it, I thought that's that's crazy, right? <laughs> you know, because because the only thing I I really understand for sure is is myself. It's like that you know this kind of philosophical. Uh, I don't know. You, you distill everything down and mm-hmm. go well. At least I know I'm here. I might not know if this right. computer is real or if you're real or whatever, but at least I know I'm real. Uh, Buddhism kind of rips that out from under you and says, you don't even know if you're real. Right. <laughs> you yes. know, which is, which, is a tough, uh, which is a tough thing to take. But, but I think if you, can, if you can find a way to drop that, you, you won't be uh, constantly referencing that and you'll have a better ability to deal with real problems because you you're no longer worried about what is my what is myself in this problem right yeah I, I think that's really well said from my own experience you know I said earlier 
I think we're sitting and you recognize garbage day. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, no, dude. It's, I think it's kind of actually very fitting. So I, uh, it's all good. But we're, uh, for example, I, I was sitting on the couch a while back and there was a, a vase of flowers in front of me. And mm-hmm. I'm looking at it and similar to the wall experience, recognizing in this moment, the body mind Chris is not looking at this vase of flowers. There is literally looking happening. That is happening. But I am not, the self is not making that happen. Hearing yeah. is happening. I am not making that happen. You know, it's just, it is what it is. It's a life unfolding. It's all part of the totality. And this is where it gets tricky with language because you don't, or I don't want to cross into that woo-woo-y esoteric yeah. You know, but when you really begin to have this direct experience and you, you're like, holy shit, well, who am I? Not the thoughts, obviously, you know, because yeah. thoughts are just thoughts. I'm not the emotions, the sensations. It's it's all just arising in this awareness. And the beautiful thing is once you see through the illusion of this separate self, the stickiness of all of these things lessens significantly. The stickiness yeah. of it being personal, you know, and, yeah. and so again, yeah, it, but. A lot of people, it seems, I mean, how do you, again, I, I know I just asked you, but it's like, how do you really talk to people that aren't, first of all, aren't even interested in it, let alone are interested in it, but have their own preconceived ideas of what it's supposed to be, what the experience is supposed to be like, you know, the bells and whistles, the angels, the bright lights, like, oh my God, when it's the most simplest thing, literally, that there is. Well, it's real difficult because you, you communication in, in any language requires that I refer to myself in, in a certain way. Right. And, and provisionally, there is... Dogen is a kind of a weirdo about the self because he'll say no self and then he'll he'll say uh, self. <laughs> and it, because he's saying if you look at it this way, you, you can say there is a self. And, you know, I, I my the example I always say is, you know, I have my own credit cards and you can't use them and right. I have I have my address. It isn't your address and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, that's all true. Right. Uh, but ultimately, it it isn't it doesn't have any ultimate sort of bearing on on what life is. And you can, every moment of every day, you have the experience of non-self. It's just that we tend to frame that experience in terms of, of self. You'll, you'll even say, I had the experience of non-self, right, right. you know, which is, which, which in a way is true. But uh, about talking to people who aren't, one thing about Zen is that there's no idea of uh, proselytizing. So there's no right. idea that you're trying to bring this to the masses. I, I, I sort of look at my work as trying to make it available, but I'm not really trying to convince anybody because right. it's just useless. <laughs> you know, it's just a waste of time. So, um, so, so you're not, I don't really try to convince people who don't want to know you have to kind of you kind of have to want to know it in the first place before you're ever going to to get it yeah um you know you have to have that willingness to go okay well maybe i'm wrong about everything (laughs) which is which is tough because because we we kind of uh, we have a we have a lot invested in being right about things You 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 have to you have to know because our minds work like that of of sort of compressing reality into digestible chunks so that so that you can get through things you know you you have to know that the red light means stop and the green light means go and all these things you you, you have so much in there that uh, that you just kind of act upon without questioning mm. um 
and if you started to question every little thing, you'd go crazy. So, right. so Zen practice sort of starts with questioning everything, but doesn't end there, uh, because if you ended there, you like I said, you'd go nuts, and and you don't want to do that. So. Um, I don't know how you talk to people. Yeah, <laughs> you just you just sort of go ah, yeah, and then they go oh, what is that about? And you go um, I don't know. <laughs> that sounds about right. But I do appreciate because you're right. You're not asking anyone to believe anything. The important thing is find out for yourself what is true. You know, and here are these teachings and pointers, and those are wonderful. But it is up to you and you alone to to find out what is true. So that's something that's always deeply resonated with me about your work, and of course, people have come yeah. before you. Yeah, it's it's um, that's a hard thing because people will ask. I, I'll get asked all the time, "What do Buddhists believe?" and and I have to say, "Well, you know, it's it's belief isn't part of it, really. I mean, there you you could kind of poll people who identify as Buddhists and and come up with some con, you know core beliefs that they they tend to hold, but there isn't there isn't this dogmatic thing, at least within the Zen Buddhism, and I think within most Buddhisms. Um, where you say you must believe A, B, and C, and that's and that'll make you a Buddhist. It's it's actually a whole different approach. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 trying to get outside of your beliefs and see what's what's true beyond what you believe about things. Yeah, yeah, I dig that. And and but Buddhism, like any other, and I know Buddhism isn't a religion, but there's all the different you know Theravada and Zen, Mahayana, what uh, Madhyamaka, Dzogchen, yeah, and yeah. on and on it goes. Um, so there's, there's tons of it. Yeah, people don't don't uh, people in the West have a, a limited experience of Buddhism. And, and I always try to explain it by saying, you know, Buddhism started 500 years before Christianity. And you already know how many versions of Christianity there right. are. Imagine adding 500 more years of development to that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you have even more <laughs> kinds of Buddhisms than there are types of Christianity. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about the artwork for the cover oh. of this one. Um, I love the, I mean, that's another thing besides the titles, your book covers are always great. Here um, we can, we can do a visual, uh, yeah. And oh, I'm sorry. Upside down. sorry. <laughs> I, uh, my copy is in the bedroom. Of course. Okay. I was running late. So thank you for having yours. Yeah, there we go. So who did the artwork? Was it special for the book or was that you found that somewhere else and were able to incorporate no, it? This was special for the book. I'll, I'll, you can, you can see the whole thing there. Yeah, I get it on screen. It's so good. Um, it, we, this is done by a Canadian guy. He's based in Montreal, and he goes by the name Johnny Crap. I'm not sure what his his uh, real birth name is, but that's his punk dharma name, I guess. Uh, he's done three of my book covers, and I've never met him. But um, <laughs> I, I went to Montreal in, I think, 2005 and did a talk there. And they had these posters up all over town for this talk. They'd really gone out with the publicity, and they had this great artwork which appeared... I wish I had it to show you. It appeared on the cover of my book, Sit Down and Shut Up, later. Yeah. Um, and I thought they'd gotten it off the internet or something, because it's this fat Buddha right. writing a Godzilla type of monster. Uh, but it turned out it was this artist who'd done the, the artwork uh, for them. And and this this one, uh, my I, I think anybody's interpretation of the cover is is useful. A lot of people see this as the monster being a jerk, uh, which, which I, I can see, but my, my, I, I came up with the concept of it. I didn't okay. draw it, but, but the idea is this monster is uh, destroying, uh, Aheji, which is Dogen's temple in the same way that I'm destroying Dogen's, uh, beautiful <laughs> prose in this book, because I kind of 
you know, rewrote it. Um, and, and it's kind of, it's based on the old, um, Japanese, uh, what's the name of the ty- the style, but you've seen this style. Yes, of painting. absolutely. That's uh, why I loved it. But, yeah. Oh, I like your interpretation. That's cool. And that's funny. I'll have to look that guy up because I live in Ottawa now, like two hours oh, away okay. from there. So I don't get out to Montreal often, but it'd be interesting to, uh, to check his work out. So yeah, apparently he's done a lot of other stuff, uh, too. So he, yeah. yeah I'll look should, him up. He should, he should come out with a book of his work, you know, That'd really, be... it was actually, I read sit down and shut up before I read hardcore Zen. Um, and I read it because I was in a, this is when I was living in Connecticut. Um, I was at a library and I saw the book cover and, you know, and mm. I'm sure that's why a lot of people get attracted to your stuff. Same with Noah's work. You know, you see that yeah. and it's like you're a punk rocker or a hardcore kid and you see that. It's like, Oh, okay. And so, yeah, man, that's cool. I will look yeah, at this work. I thought it was good to approach it this way. Cause I, I, one of the first things I thought when I, uh, I had two teachers as a garbage again. Yep. I thought they'd done all three pickups by now, but anyway, <laughs> um, the um, the thing about Buddhist books that I always kind of hated was the cover art. You know, there's some there's some really good books out there whose cover art I just you know I just want to cover it with a yep. with a paper bag or something because it's always the same thing. It's this little lotus flower rising up out of the dirt, and I and I think um, I think a lot of people who might benefit from Buddhism don't benefit from it because they see those covers and go, well, I don't want more of this, you know, garbage. Right, right. And and they don't realize that what's inside is is kind of really at odds with that. You know, yeah. especially the Zen form is is really kind of uh in your face and a little bit shocking and yeah. sometimes scatological and, and it really doesn't fit with the beautiful lotus flower in the pond. Yeah. I was reading um I'll Ikkyo? I don't know if that's yeah, the correct EQ probably EQ. yeah and uh, I absolutely loved it some of the most just like brutal he's, he's kind of a foul mouth a, a bit guy. but you know the cover is like a nice calligraphy and I'm like huh okay wasn't expecting that but a friend turned yeah. me on to him and um yeah man covers are a tricky thing but uh yours are always done well it's cool that New World Library like it works with you on it and uh I, yeah, they they always take my suggestions, so that's nice. Yeah, yeah, they seem like a good folks. With my second book over, it sounds true. It was a bit of a give and take. Actually, that took about yeah. three months because I love them to death. Great experience. Nothing against them. The first couple of concepts they came up with, it was really I was like, oh, come on. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, so you you're talking about covers and turning off, and I love that I saw. This is kind of straying a little bit, but uh, one of my favorite writers, and I'm bum that i have not read his book yet but you're posting about uh klosterman's new book Chuck no, klosterman. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. um and i i'm sure i mean from reading what you wrote about and just reading about it, sounds incredible i love all yeah. of his earlier work um are there writers besides him or if you want to talk about him outside of buddhism that you are into that you find beneficial or just enjoy in general oh boy i don't know um i do like uh chuck klosterman he's a f- I've met him a couple of times mm-hmm. and don't couldn't say I know him, but he's a close friend of a couple of friends of mine. So yeah. that's you know I sort of have a little bit of connection there. Uh, he used to live in Akron. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, and he was writing for the Akron Beacon Journal local paper. That's right. Yeah. And and I think he's he's got a real. Um, uh, realistic outlook on things. I don't agree with every last thing he says, right. but I think his attitude is is really good. But he's 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 kind of if I can stray off the question a little yeah, bit. Yeah. He, he's kind of an example of a person I kind of feel like he's a person who 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 would probably benefit from 
from Buddhism, but would never uh, get into it. And I can, in reading his books, I can see exactly why, because he would kind of, I'm just sort of inventing a Chuck Klosterman in my mind, but I think, <laughs> I think, I, I think I'm probably accurate. In that, in that, a person like that would see it as like, oh, that that woo woo stuff, and you got to meditate and all that, and 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 get immediately like, I, you know, I want something real here, right. um, and I, I think that's kind of a, a shame that uh, that's the way it happened. As for other writers, I don't know. I, I buy tons of books, but um, uh, mostly about Japanese monsters, and I have three <laughs> books I'm looking at right now all on the topic of Gilligan's Island. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I've read one of them all the way through and the other two I'm working on. But, you know, this is what I tend to read about when when, uh, when I don't have to read stuff. I, I, in, in Buddhism, I think um, there's, there's some people. You, you, you mentioned uh, Noah Levine, uh, who, who I really like. And um, uh, uh, I'm blanking on his name. Um, Katagiri, uh, dining Katagiri. He's dead now. He died in I think 1990. But he was a Japanese Buddhist priest who wrote um, who wrote some. Actually, he didn't write anything. Uh, I'll take that back. But but his students collated lectures he'd given into several books that are all worth uh, getting. And of course, they have like lotus flowers on the covers yeah, and yeah. and stuff. Um, Shohaku Okumura, who's who's still with us, is another Japanese Zen teacher who I think writes uh, some really good stuff, and he does actually sit down and write it. But it's it's very sort of um, it's it's a bit scholarly and might turn off uh, some people, but I think yeah. he's got a good attitude. Yeah, well, I know you and I are similar in that. I know you like to read the scholarly material at times, and you and yeah. if I remember correctly, because I remember thinking, yeah, I do too, and a lot of people don't. And speaking of that. You are considering writing a follow-up, correct, on the show Genzo? Exploring further is are you still toying with that, or? Yeah, I'm more than toying with it. I yeah. started I started working on it about a month ago to to see what I could get, and and yeah, it's it's real interesting because what I did with this book for for the people who don't know is is Shobo Genzo is this old 800 year old book. There are now. Um, three or four complete English translations out there, two of which are easy to get, and the other ones tend to be a little harder to find. But I thought, okay, now that there's all these translations available, uh, the, the time is right when you can actually do a more interpretive version of it. Because if people want to see the uh, a better you know, technically better translation. They they don't have just my little book to to rely on, mm-hmm. and and I, and I thought it was um, interesting to go through this because I've I've read Shobogenzo in translation and a little bit in the original Japanese for for years, and uh, and what happens if I really dig into it sentence by sentence and line by line and try to come up with. Uh, a rephrasing, so I'm kind of putting this through the blender of my mind, and and this and you know this book is what it comes out um, after that, and 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 that's what we all do, you know. Even if you read, even if you were to read the original Japanese version, uh, even even somebody who whose native language is Japanese is going to have a hard time understanding it, which in fact is what happened with my own teacher, uh, mm-hmm. Gudo Nishijima. 
when he was a teenager, he came across Shobo Genzo and he always liked to tell the story that what amazed him most is it was a book in his own language that he could not understand at all, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, um, but it was a highly regarded book and he could sense that it was saying something. So he kind of devoted his life to, to trying to understand, uh, this crazy ancient book. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I really love your take on it. I'm excited to see what else you come up with, uh, moving forward. And I hope it does come to pass and, and it gets released. So excited Thanks. to stay up on that. Yeah. So there's a couple of blog posts I wanted to check in with you about. I just, Always, always love reading your blog. Uh, I'm not much of a blog guy, to be honest, but I really dig yours. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah, no, I do. I think dating back, we spoke years ago. It's been a long time, but last time we were talking about when you did about Mo and Curly, and I was just like, <laughs> oh, no. I, no, I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. here we go. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love that you, uh, but that's not the one we're going to talk about today. There's okay. two that I read recently out of many of them, but um, I'll share an excerpt out of one. Um, it was titled Meditation for Success. Really good one. And a, a brief part, as you wrote, selling meditation as a key to success destroys meditation. If your meditation is directed at achieving goals, you're only strengthening that part of you which is forever unsatisfied, forever seeking outside approval, forever chasing after money and power. You've discovered an even more effective way to ensure that you'll never be happy, never be balanced, never have any kind of peace. It's, it's so important. And it's such a goddamn big business, man. Like, as, as as we both know, I appreciate, like, when you write, you are very candid about, like, and, and I don't remember if it was that one or not, but you talk about, am I successful? Well, you know, like, you've written a number of books, you know, you, you're, you're self-employed, and in so in a way, yes, and in society standards, maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. So I, I would love to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, meditation as a meditation as a business, it's kind of a it's kind of a double-edged sword to use a cliche. Sure. You know, there's there's it's it's in a way it's good that people are interested in meditation at all in any form. So so you know, I I always sort of take that as a given. So if if I ever criticize it, that's always behind it, which right. which sometimes it gets annoying to state it over and over again, yeah. but um, but some of what what happens is it it becomes part of the marketplace. So you you have to you have to sell it, and people don't. If you told them like uh, Kodo Sawaki, the famous uh, Japanese Zen uh, reformer of the 20th century, would say Zazen is good for nothing. And if you if you come out with that, good lord, this <laughs> trucks. Um, you're if you come out saying that, it's really hard to to get a to get an audience and and if you're doing it as a business you you've got to you've got to have the money coming in to make your business work so that approach isn't going to work but that's the only that's the only approach there is ultimately you you're going to have to you have to it's always good for nothing because what it's good for is for getting you into what's really happening rather than uh something else but the um the business model can, you know, it can be good and bad. For example, I've been kind of critical. I'll talk up because <laughs> this one has really taken a long time. Um, the, the, the one I've been kind of critical of, even though I sort of love it and hate it, is mindfulness-based stress reduction Okay. Yep. Uh, as a business. And, and I, I, again, 
I'll say it again because I have to. I'm glad it's there rather than it not being there. Sure. And I think most of the people I've met who are involved with it are, are, are very sincere. And, and I think one thing it does is it, it's doing, doing one thing good, which is also maybe it's, it's undoing or maybe not it's undoing, but one of its problems is, is that in order to get hospitals, schools and places like that, uh, involved in meditation, you have to completely secularize it. Yes. And, I, and and that's something I, I kind of agree with because I don't, like you just said, I don't think Buddhism is a religion anyway. But everybody else thinks Buddhism is a religion right. and, and that means you have to eliminate all the Buddhism. So if you eliminate all the Buddhism from it, uh, you're also throwing out 2,500 years worth of research and development, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and kind of going, well, now we have to do all that research and development over again. Uh, and, and you, you'll end up back in the same place, you know? So, so for example, there's, it gets really sticky to talk about ethics because ethics gets really hooked yeah. in with religion. Yeah. And, but one of the things you have to have ongoing with a meditation practice is, is a training in ethics. And, and, and that's because um, at some level, you'll start, you'll start to have awakenings and openings if you do the meditation long enough. And if those aren't combined with a, uh, with a deep understanding of ethics, those, can, those awakening moments can go really badly. Yeah. Uh, because, you, you, because part of it is you're, you're opening up to understanding your oneness with everything. And oneness with everything can make you feel like you're really important now, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and, and, and that leads to a lot of trouble because uh, people will kind of lose themselves and start hammering everybody over the head with their oneness with everything, yeah. you know, or, or, or it can, it can open the doorway because understanding your oneness with everyone and everything also makes you understand people and how they work a lot better. And if you are inclined to be a kind of manipulative person to begin with, you've just unlocked the key to the ultimate ability to manipulate anybody. Yes. Because you can actually, in in some ways, metaphorically at least, get right inside their heads. Because you've gotten so far in your head yeah. that you understand how your head works and you understand that everybody's head works exactly the same way as yours. And so you can... You can hone in on it, and and this is where a lot of the uh, you know guru abuses oh, and yeah. stuff you know come from because they become master manipulators. Yeah, <laughs> you know? horrible, horrible. Um, yeah, yeah. I, on the lighter side of it, <laughs> and, and not lighter side because it's actually this has a sad ending. But a friend of mine who's a, a writer, he was uh, I was talking to him recently, and we were talking about this and in this whole new age movement and spirituality is a business. And, and most of me agrees absolutely with you, you know, like meditation, people are sitting cool, man. Like that's good. He brought up a good point where, cause I was taking that uh, view with him and he said, I don't know about that. He said, I have a friend who had, you know, severe depression. She had a bunch of other mental things going on and she walked into, I don't know, pick probably any Hay House author, you know, he just found, found her way into that kind of market and was there for about three years. 
kind of spinning her wheels, maybe had some good experiences, maybe not, but ended up just doing that, not seeking any other help, believing, you know, what a lot of the people were telling her that like, this can, this can do it. You don't need Western medicine. And she ended up killing herself three years later, you know? So I know that's an extreme case and, and, you know, I shouldn't say, Hey, I I know it's not right to, you know, call people out because I'm sure they've done some decent books, but you know, you look at their main roster and I don't know them, but, but yeah, I'll just take your word for well, it. Well then I, wow. I, I commend you for not knowing them. So. <laughs> uh, but they, they are, when we talk about spirituality as a business they they are like the, the, you know, the big business. Uh, so anyways, there, there is that side of it too. You know, where certain teachers, like I saw a t-shirt once that said, Medic meditation over medication. And it's yeah. like no, fuck that. Like yes, meditate absolutely, but some people legitimately do need to be on on medication, even if it's just short term. And yeah. don't guilt them for having to do that. You know, like I, so. Yeah, I think that's important, and, and it's a kind of a it's kind of a tricky thing. My own teacher, Anishijima Roshi, the Japanese one. But uh, my two teachers had. Uh, different ideas about medication. So Nishijima was real anti-medication, but he, but he would only talk about that if you asked him. You know, sure. so he was he wouldn't get on his pulpit and say don't do medication. But if you actually said you know what do you think about this, he'd be like I don't think this is very good. He's Japanese. He's from a different era. Yeah. Um, he's seeing it a different way. My other teacher. Uh, we had a person who was sharing our living space who absolutely needed medication. Yeah. So, so I know that Tim was very pro medication because if she got off her meds, it was it was a, a nightmare. Yeah. Um. So, I, I do think I, I do think a realistic approach allows for both. You know, the the obvious thing that everybody says is that uh, the United States and and the, you know I'm sure Canada and Mexico and all the places that are influenced by us Europe uh we're really getting over medicated you I know I couldn't agree more yeah and 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 people are 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 prescribing things to to people who don't really need them so so you have to kind of find where the you know where the answer is yeah. I, I would say, what, whenever I've had somebody who I've been directly working with who who wants to deal with this, I, I would never advise somebody. I never have to just drop the medication. I have worked with people closely and said, well, you you know maybe you could see whether a reduced dose works for you at this point in your life and mm-hmm. whether it's you know. But these kind of baby steps, I think, is is what's needed because you you know there are there are people who have serious problems. You know, a lot of the thing about that medication though, the other side of it is is you you have a society which is already fundamentally wrong in a lot of ways. Sure. And and sometimes the medication just kind of dulls you to the point where you can deal with how shitty everything is, <laughs> you know. And, and and that's not a good fit either. So so you know, where does the an- the answer is you it goes on a case by case basis. It, you can't yes. just make a blanket statement. Right. Um, and that's so. right there with you because yes, there are absolutely some people I've done a lot of work in the addiction and recovery field. And there are people where their ba- brain chemistry, they're coming off drugs. They need something. I was one of those people. I needed to be on an antidepressant and I was for about a year and then I tapered off of it. And that was over five years ago and I haven't taken literally any medication since then. And, and that works for me, but I would never advocate that, you know, medication is wrong to, to someone who needs to be on it. I'm reading actually this book right now by a guy named Bob Forrest. Do you know who Bob is? The old singer of Thelonious Monster. 
No, um, I've heard of them, but I don't know. Yeah, so he's this crazy dude that like came up with the Chili Peppers and Fishbone, and they were you know the whole L.A. scene, Jane's Addiction, back in the uh, '80s and '90s. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how, you know, and he was like a full on heroin addict. Um, and now he's he's uh, works as a uh, recovery specialist, I guess. And he talks about the difference from the 70s and 80s where, you know, these were people that were full on junkies, you know, strung out on heroin. Whereas today and that's what clinicians would have worked with then. Whereas today, the majority of clinicians are working with prescribed addictions. You know, it yeah. starts out with like oxy or whatever it might be. And then people start getting multiple prescriptions from multiple sources. And then that's the majority of what people are treating today. It's just that was an interesting point, you know, because it is how the times have changed. So, yes, me- <laughs> I'm not advocating. I just I mentioned that to say I'm not saying like, go oh, take medication either, like case by case. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's said. one of those things you can't you can't put a blanket right. statement on. I remember uh, uh, the the guitarist for zero defects like pulling out a joint and said brad uses medic meditation i use medication (laughs) (laughs) well actually there's another blog i want to blog post but before we get to that there was something else that i like that you um you say in the book that with a regular meditation practice we can find a way to the same places that drugs take us so yeah. just like, you know, your guitar said. And so there's, you know, different sides, different camps that are pro-psychedelics, anti-psychedelics, you know, this and that. And I know you fall on the side of we don't need anything, you know. Yeah. So I and and the podcast, in all fairness, is on uh, Ram Dass's network, which obviously a lot of psychedelic <laughs> stuff. But <laughs> so, <Hi>. yes, <laughs> but so I have a lot of a lot of people that are uh, recovery and addiction experts that come on and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and well, some of them are for it. Some of them are against it. What's important to me is to give a voice to both sides of it, um, because I think the conversation is the most important part. And I know you fall on the side of don't need it. It's pointless. Didn't you do a talk with Alex Gray not too long ago about this? Is Alex Gray that I talked to? I know I talked to the guy that wrote Zigzag Zen. Oh, OK. Um, yeah, but but yeah, I've, I've talked about it and it's. It's one of those things. I've done acid, and I did acid for the, you know, for the spiritual aspects of it. I wasn't, I, I wasn't interested in partying on on a, a heavy dose of uh, hallucinogenics. I wanted to see God, you know, yeah. and I was disappointed with it. I didn't get to see God. I had a, my last trip was incredibly bad and everything. You know, it's 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 it's. it's it's hard to, if 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 I have to say if if you're going to put me in a position I don't you're not personally but if people want to put me in a position drugs yes or no I'll go no right um, on on if if I want to make my you know epitaph you know or whatever you know where you've only got like so many words to put it on <clears throat> on the other hand I'm really I'm really actually pretty happy to see for example they're doing research on LSD as a preventative for cluster headaches and as a person who who's had um severe headaches I don't know if they're cluster headaches or not I'm I'm just delighted to see anything uh, that that might work for that sure. and 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 I think researching these these uh these drugs is is good and you know state of California is about to uh, it's going to be on the ballot in November uh whether we want to make full <clears throat> legal marijuana you know uh, like uh, Oregon and Washington have yeah. and 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 I'll probably vote for full legal marijuana because I think it's better to have you know just just get it out of the hands of the criminals and and all that sure, yeah um 
and besides that, you're going to need something to deal with President Trump. Oh, you know? Christ. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I know you're in Canada, but, you I, thank know. God, I, dude, I just moved here a couple of years ago. Timing couldn't have been better. <laughs> but I, I don't know if he'll be president or not. That's a joke. But yes. but so 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 I I think there's a place for that. And and you know I don't even repudiate somebody who wants to 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 smoke some weed to get high. You know I I, I understand that and that's fine. You know people, you do what you do and, and you need a little stress relief sometimes. I don't I don't have a problem with that. It's just when uh, when it becomes a substitute, it, it's it, the problem is those substances, not so much marijuana, but ayahuasca and these other things, give you give you this kind of um, instant gratification sort of thing, where you where you you can feel like you've really penetrated something amazing and maybe you have but it's the method by which you've done it is is the problem because you you're you're given this substance and all of a sudden you have an awakening or whatever it is and you go whoa that's great and then you know it all comes back crashing in and and you don't have any sense of of how you got there or what it means that people the metaphor that that a lot of the the advocates of that will say it's it, they'll say instead of climbing the mountain you take a helicopter up to the top of the mountain huh. which which i think okay. is a great metaphor because you can turn it against the them really easily because it's like the the experience of climbing a mountain isn't about being on top of the mountain and getting the beautiful view right. because you could just rent a video if you want you know if you wanted yeah. that um it's 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 more about the experience and the experience of climbing the mountain is is something itself which is beautiful and profound and meaningful and if somebody just plops you on top in a helicopter you haven't got that experience right um and i and i think that's the that's the best case scenario with with drugs you know and i and i even think that's a rare instance where you actually have a real spiritual opening as a as uh, mostly what happens is you just have a, a a night of of confusion and merriment you know maybe merriment <laughs> yes. that you that you later label as being much more profound than it actually was you know i think and and that kind of stuff i'm like oh god these these guys again <laughs> oh yeah yeah sure well, I've never tried it. Well, I did try it once in a spiritual context, and this was over 10 years ago, and it was the one time I had a very, very bad trip on mushrooms. But, I mean, prior to that, it was all about watching David Lynch movies and listening to <laughs> Mr. Bungle and, like, you know, just weird shit. Like, and, and that was yeah. fine. Never had a bad experience. But the one time I'm like, all right, like you said, I'm going to see the face of God, and it's going to be awesome. And it was anything but awesome. And it was like, I've, I've told the story before, so I'm not going to tell it again, but I'll just say it was really bad. And I ended up calling my parents to come pick me up you know they live 20 minutes away and like who calls their parents on mushrooms out of their mind <laughs> oh, like, i was by myself uh, it was bad man it was bad yeah mine mine was that i i kind of i i something that that gets something part of what actually we can tie it to the book dogan talks about being time and the illusion of time and whatever yeah. and so on an lsd trip i got I, I really understood the time as an illusion very clearly, and it scared the shit out of me, sure. and I wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah. And, and years and years of practice later, I can kind of go, oh, that's what I was seeing, um, and, and I can integrate it, and I can be comfortable with it. But at mm -hmm. the time, 
you know, one of the things that happened was I saw that all time was the present moment. I, but I was on a bad acid trip. I could think to myself, I took the acid three hours ago. A standard trip lasts four to six hours. So at most, I've got three more hours of this to endure. But I couldn't understand what three hours was. Yes. <laughs> because time is all now. Yes. What in God's name is three hours? You know? <laughs> and, and that just sent me into a total panic. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I do know. As I was walking out of my apartment, it was evening or nighttime at this point with my parents. They were taking me back to their house. I looked up the sky and it was like my first real experience of like no Chris, no, no anything. You know, it was like timeless in this moment. And all I could muster to say to them, I could barely even speak at this point was it's all too real. And that's all I could say. And that was it, man. And then I got back to their place and, uh, it was Sunday night, so the Simpsons were on. So thank God that <laughs> brought me back down. But good, yeah. yeah, if it wasn't for them, I don't know what would have happened. But so this other blog post uh, that I wanted to explore with you, mm-hmm. this one was entitled Zen for Aliens. And the excerpt from this one, <laughs> yeah, we're going there. I like this one. We human beings are capable of communicating with each other on a level of subtlety and detail that we do not find in any other species we know of at present. Our ability to share our experience may make us a unique and important part of how the universe comes to know itself. Right now, we are standing at the very beginning of a process that could have cosmic effects far beyond anything we can even imagine at present. Some of the best science fiction writers have attempted to speculate on the implications of this, but there's no way any human being living today could ever really predict where it might go. Yeah. best not fuck it up. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think I, I, you know, being a a science fiction nut, yeah. Um, this idea of aliens has always been interesting. I know there's a lot of woo woo around around that, and I I I, I kind of go for the uh, standard thing. Is we we just don't <clears throat> we rationally speaking, as big as the universe is, and et cetera, et cetera, there are bound to be something at least a little bit like us. Yes on some other world. Uh, but we, we haven't established any sort of contact with them. You know, I mean, some people speculate that they may be watching us, but, but, uh, I think we can pretty much clearly say that we are not in, if, if, if they know about us, we certainly don't know about them, yes. even if they do. Um, so, uh, so we, we have this weird, um, position, Hello? In the, in all through human history, people have kind of touted that as being a good thing, the greatest achievement. But now we're starting to see, I haven't read the book yet, but I've seen some excerpts of it. There's somebody who's been writing um, about octopuses. Octop- actually, it turns out, I looked this up, octopuses is correct. Octopi is actually a mistake. Okay, good to by know. By the way. Good to know. Um, so she's been looking at octopuses and seeing uh, how intelligent they are, and and it, it, it's 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 kind of amazing. It seems uh, her theory, as little as I've read, is the only things that keep octopuses from occupying the top of the food chain is they don't live long enough to to get smart get as smart as they could be. I don't wow. know because they seem to be almost as intelligent as us, you know, in in certain respects and. So, um, so you you wonder where where this is leading. Uh, you, I, I wonder um, because we're 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 able to do so much 
but we're also doing incredible damage to the to the rest of the environment and and a lot of our a lot of our philosophies and and such like kind of give us the impression that human beings could kind of somehow separate themselves from the environment and and then live on their own and do whatever or, or that we should just remake the environment to our liking but what we're discovering as we do that more and more is that we're actually really really connected with all these things you know without the trees in the brazilian rainforests we die you know and mm -hmm. and um so we can't just pave over the brazilian rainforests and make a shopping mall uh because because that would kill us you know right uh, so so we're we're finding out how integrated we are in in all of this but we also have this special position you know a lot a lot of people who are i think very well meaning will kind of be almost anti-human uh, in, in the sense of like well if all the humans died everything would be much better I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think we're part of the environment and we do a special we have a special place. Not special in the in the sense that it's it's better. Right. But it's I think we're as you know, if if the African grey spotted moth, you know, whatever it is that people are predicting this week, and yeah. rightly so, is worth preserving, we are also worth preserving. Right. Because we we're adding something else unique to the blend and and we have to kind of find the way to to integrate all of that you know and then maybe the aliens will talk to us I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> time will tell we will yeah. see <laughs> yeah. should be interesting so well brad i thank you for your time um i mean i feel like we could have talked for another hour easily but i you know it's a podcast i have to watch yeah. that hour mark um but so again, the website where people can find you is hardcorezen.info that has your social media stuff linked up, your events, all of that good stuff, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's hardcorezen.info is the best way. That's and that, yeah, everything is connected through there. Cool. Well, any parting words before we uh, we call it a day here? Anything I didn't cover that you want to share? No, thanks. We're thanks good. for having me on. I really okay. appreciate it. Sorry we missed our initial uh the folks in, in in TV land don't know that we missed missed our connection a couple of days ago, but uh, but sorry about that. No, no apologies necessary. It's life, like I said, I, it's happened to me before, so I understand. But it was great connecting with you. It really is a wonderful book. I can't recommend it enough, as well as your prior works. And I'm excited to see what comes of this new one you're working on, man. So thank you sincerely for the time and also for putting this stuff out there in the world that's needed yeah, thank and you. appreciated. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right, man. Peace. Be well. <laughs> This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash be here now today 
to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now.